Amen. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Well, I'm going to be today in Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapters 4 and 5. Now, before you start sweating, thinking that's a two-hour message, I guarantee it's not. An hour and 45 minutes. All right. The name of the message is Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19, John is instructed to write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Now this verse provides a simple outline for the entire book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The things which are seen refers to the vision John has seen in Revelation chapter 1. The things which are denotes the letters to the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And the things which will take place after this refers to the revelation of the future history in Revelation chapters 4 through 22. So worthy is the Lamb who was slain. The church on earth is a persecuted and suffering church in John's day, and may I say it gets worse every day in our day. It may experience seasons of rest, but the hatred of the lost against the church's head, the Lord Jesus Christ, soon issues into a new wave of persecution and suffering. God's people during such seasons need a word of encouragement from God himself. Both Old and New Testaments are full of such encouragements. I want us to see how the Apostle John encourages us in chapter 4 of Revelation where he provides a vision of the crucified, risen, and exalted Christ to encourage the persecuted people of God in his own day. And these are difficult times for the church in John's day. It was as though evil was about to triumph. We too are going through incredibly difficult times as a church today. The form of difficulty may differ between the church in America, the church in Africa, the church in Asia, the church in Europe, yet the sense that evil may be triumphing is felt by all of us. We too need a fresh vision of the crucified, risen, and exalted Christ so we too as a church today can be encouraged. That is precisely what we long for, isn't it? Each time we come to church, we find ourselves pleading for God to show us more of Christ and to reveal his glory to us. The Apostle John was most likely the last surviving apostle at the time of writing the book of Revelation. Uh, the friends, his friends and colleagues that he had labored with in the church probably either died from natural causes or had been martyred. History suggests that most of them were martyred for the sake of Christ in their uncompromising preaching of the gospel. The book of Revelation was written in a time when the church was uh, persecuted and most of its leaders were dead. And John took refuge on the island of Patmos. I say refuge because there is where Christ decided to meet with them. And in the presence of Christ, there is refuge. There, the Spirit of God ministered to him by revealing the things of Jesus to him. And in the Spirit, he saw the risen Lord and received letters 
uh, for seven churches in Asia in chapters 2 and 3. They were letters showing that even though the church was being persecuted, Jesus still expected them to live in faithfulness and live in holiness and even love toward him more than ever. And after recording the last of these letters, John gives us the vision we are interested in for our present purposes. John begins in Revelation chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2. After these things, I looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, meaning the power and authority of this word, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Uh, This must have been quite a moving uh, moment. He peeped into heaven itself. The only other person that we know who had done this was the Apostle Paul, who, uh, who said he was forbidden to even speak of what he saw there. We know in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, speaking of himself, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do know. That's what John was literally saying when he said, I was in the spirit. He wasn't saying he was more spiritual than someone else, or, or that, uh, that, but it had to be the spirit of God that drew him to this vision. Not he did, wasn't capable of getting it himself. And Paul's saying the same thing here. He says, but God knows such a one who uh, was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. But God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So you see, it must have been for him an overwhelming experience. In Revelation chapter 4, John not only saw uh, what was happening in heaven, but also was commanded to write down what he saw. And that's why we have this very record of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now granted, the book of Revelation is full of symbolism. And there is much in this chapter that we must process uh, with that reality in mind. But the symbolism enabled John to capture and to convey something uh, of the atmosphere that which he witnessed when he was given his very peep into heaven. John desperately needed to see this because he needed encouragement. You say, how did he need encouragement? Well, listen closely. The church also needed encouragement and would get it. Our church needs it, but we also get it. You see, once John shared what he had been uniquely privileged to see, we too need to see something that John saw here that he left for us to see. As we unpack and meditate upon Revelation 4, may it put steel in the very beings of the church today. What did John see that we too are invited to participate in? John saw that no matter what was happening here on earth, God is still on the throne. You cannot miss this, church. As we make our way through this message, the word throne leaps from the sacred pages over and over again. Look with me at chapter 4, verses 3 through 11. 
And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. That rainbow represents, as we know, the rainbow came from the flood. When the flood was over, it was a promise that he would never flood the earth again. That is a symbolization of God's promise. Everything he has done, everything he says, is a promise that will always be kept. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting there, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeds lightnings and thunders and voices. This is a preparation that judgment is about to take place. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And we'll see that that is the completeness of the Holy Spirit of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around within and within. And they, did, uh, they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created." You see, I want to I show you something here real quick. The four living creatures that he talks about here, these four living creatures play a significant role in the events that unfold in Revelation. Being in the midst and around the throne means that their station is in the inner circle nearest to the throne. Ezekiel gives a detailed description of, this incredible, uh, of these incredible beings and of the glories of the magnificent heaven of which he was placed in God's very throne. Both Ezekiel's description and that in Revelation 4 describe what could be called the divine and machine ready to unleash judgment. Ezekiel chapter 10 verse 15 specifically identifies these four living creatures. And the cherubim were lifted up. This was the living creature I saw by the river Chabar. You see, the four living creatures are thus cherubim, an exalted order of angels frequently associated in Scripture with God and His holy power, His presence, and His holiness. And after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, God drove them out of of the Garden of Eden and stationed cherubim at the entrance to keep them from returning. You see that in Genesis 3.24. And there were two carved cherubim also were placed in the Holy of Holies, the temple, also called the most holy place, symbolically guarding God's holiness in 1 Kings chapter 6. There were two cherubim of gold that were made for each end of the mercy seat, representing the majestic glory and presence of God. And Scripture goes on to reveal 
uh, of them as the bearers of God's throne. And to take it a step farther, time won't permit, but in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 12, you see that Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. And so the lion represents wild creatures, the calf represents domestic animals, the eagle represents flying creatures, and the man represents the pinnacle of creation. Symbolically, the lion represents strength. We see that the calf is service, the man represents reason, and the eagle represents speed. And those descriptions view the four cherubim as the four primary forms of life in God's creation. Their six wings denote that their supreme responsibility and privilege is to constantly worship God. And the four living creatures, like angels in general, are deeply involved with the coming judgments of the tribulation in which they will play an integral role. And the four living creatures will be there at the outset of divine judgments as one of their number calls forth the rider on the white horse in Revelation 6. Another will decree economic disaster upon the earth, while another will give the seven angels involved in the bow judgments their bows. You see, the four living creatures are cherubim. And so we go on, what a sight that John had. John, who was acquainted with seeing only the dirt, the sin, the garbage of life on earth had been given a view of the indescribable glory of the throne room of heaven. And the word throne is used 14 times in chapter 4 alone. And we find it five times in chapter 5. And the sight of that throne and him who was seated on it must have overwhelmed John. It was that in uncreated beam that John saw. It was an indescribable glory radiating from the very throne itself. And sadly, in today's political dispensation, we have lost something of the majesty that surrounds us. You think about it, we just recently lost, just a couple of days ago, a queen of 70 years. All my life, she's been the queen. And, uh, and for 70 years, and an earthly king or queen's throne room is literally nothing compared to the infinite glory, splendor, and majesty that John saw at that very time. That was why the most he could do was provide comparisons. Revelation chapter 4, verse 3, And he who sat there was a jasper and sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. He spoke of 24 thrones around the preeminent throne. On those thrones sat 24 elders in dazzling white garments and with sparkling golden crowns on their heads. And we'll speak of that in just a moment. And from that exalted throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. Can you sense something of what John experienced? Most of us can't. You think about this, even the dignitaries of our day these days try to behave like guys who play around a, that you play around a golf with. Not so with John. He beheld the throne room of the entire universe. The message that John was getting out of all of this is fairly clear. He was realizing perhaps more than ever before that whatever confusion was taking place on earth, someone was still ruling a sovereign God. 
We need to recapture something of this experience ourselves by reading passages like this and asking God to reveal himself more and more through these things to us. The God who is the eternal being who knows neither beginning nor end, the ever-living one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who existed before Genesis 1 was in fellowship of mutual satisfaction with absolutely no need of anything outside of himself. He created everything that exists and his own, uh, by his own will and for his own glory, and he rules the universe. In making the universe, he did not leave it in an automatic motion. He didn't leave it in an automatic drive. He controls all things. That is what a throne room is all about. It is the control center of the entire kingdom. That was what, what John was seeing right here. He was seeing the one who not only knew all things, but who created all things, including the very individuals that were wrecking havoc in and on the church. The God who was on the throne was unperturbed by all of this because he ruled and he controlled all things. Now notice in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10 that the 24 elders were sitting on thrones and wearing crowns as evidence that they were ruling at the next level. Notice that at the center of the throne room, they bowed down and worshipped him who sat on the throne. They also cast their crowns at his feet. That was meant to signify that the one being spoken of here is the paramount of all paramount chiefs. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. This must have been a great thing for John to see. Them 24 elders, you think about this. While some see them as an order of angelic beings, by scripture it seems best to view them as human representatives of the church. The reference to the 24 thrones on which the 24 elders sat indicates that they reign with Christ. Now, nowhere in Scripture do angels sit on thrones, nor are they pictured ruling or reigning in anything. The role of the angels are to serve as ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation in Hebrews 1.14. The church, on the other hand, is repeatedly promised a co-regency with Christ. Revelation chapter 2, verse 25 through 27. But hold fast that which have until I come, till I come. And he who overcomes, that's the true Christians, and keeps my works until the end. You notice how he put that? It's his completed works that our faith is in, not ours. To him I will give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. And as I also have received from my father. Revelation 3.21, John would say, To him who overcomes the true born again, I will grant to set with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 5.10, And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Paul would say in 2 Timothy 2.12, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. There is much more references there. The term elders is never used in scripture to refer to angels, but always 
to men. It is used to speak of older men in general and the rules of both Israel, uh, the rulers of both Israel and of the church are known as, as elders. Further, elder would be an inappropriate term to describe angels who never age. And while angels do appear in white, we see in John 20, as I gave you the scripture earlier, as Christ being our mercy seat, Acts 1.10, white garments are more commonly are the dress of believers. That is part, uh, particularly true in the immediate context of Revelation. Christ promised the believers at Sardis that they would be clothed in white garments. Revelation 3.5, he who overcomes the true Christians shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. That's a guarantee, that's a promise of the one that had the rainbow around him. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Christ advised the apostate Laodiceans in Revelation 3.18 to buy from me white garments that you may be clothed. In Revelation 19 verses 7 and 8, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, his bride will clothe herself in fine linen, clean and bright. White garments symbolize Christ's righteousness imputed to repentant believers at salvation. And that the elders wore golden crowns on their heads provides further evidence that they were humans. Crowns are never promised in scripture to, uh, to angels, nor are angels ever seen wearing crowns. Crowns is the victor's crown. They're worn by those who by God's grace successfully endured the trial, those who competed and won the victory in Jesus. Christ promised such a crown to the royal believers at Smyrna. We see in Revelation 2.10, John would write, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. That simply means the tribulation period or imprisonment would be very brief. And may I say to you, that everything we go through as the body of Christ today is very brief. Be faithful, he says, unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Then Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 25, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They're patient in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Paul would go on to say in 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We see James would write in James 1.12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There in Peter, uh, chapter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, Peter would say, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. You see, holy angels do not personally struggle with and triumph over sin. Thus, the overcomer's crown, the true Christian's crown, the crown of those who successfully ran the race and finished victorious would not be an appropriate name for angels. 
Assuming then that the 24 elders are humans, the question remains <coughs> of who do these humans represent? And first, it should be noted that the number 24 is used in Scripture to speak of completion and mostly of representation. In 1 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 4 through 18, there were 24 officers of the sanctuary representing the 24 divisions of the Levitical priests. That's a large group. It's as if to say, okay, uh, Charlie Buchanan is our captain. And then he begins to bring in his division. It could be thousands. It could be hundreds. It could be thousands. First Chronicles, we see in 20, verse 20, or chapter 25, there were 24 divisions of musicians or singers in the temple. A large group. Whoever the 24 elders are, then they likely represent a much larger group. And some believe the elders represent Israel. But while individual Jews have been, and may I say to you, will continue to be redeemed through history, at the time of this vision, here in chapter 4 and 5, the nation of Israel as a whole had not yet been redeemed. Their national judgment and salvation, as spoke of in Romans 11, comes during the tribulation in chapters 6 through 19 of Revelation, largely as a result of the evangelistic efforts of the 144,000 evangelists who are introduced in Revelation chapter 7. And when the 24 elders are first introduced here in Revelation chapter 4, those events are yet to take place. So there is no way the 24 elders represent Israel. Also, the elders cannot be tribulation saints since they too had not yet been converted. The elders are already in heaven when the tribulation saints arrive. We see in Revelation chapter 7 through or chapter 7 verse 11 through 14 describes this very scene when the tribulation saints arrive in heaven. Look who's already there. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, John says, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We can see by the word of God that it is unlikely that the 24 elders are angels or that they represent Israel or the tribulation saints or a combination of Israel and the church. So Israel's resurrection and glory will come at the end of the seven-year tribulation time, as spoken of in Daniel chapter 12. Tribulation saints aren't yet saved, Revelation 7, 9, and 10. Only one group will be complete and glorified at that point. The elders here represent the redeemed, raptured, glorified, coronated church, which sings the song of redemption in Revelation 5, 8 through 10. They are the overcomers, the true Christians, who have their crowns and live in the place prepared for them where they have gone with Jesus. 
It is the raptured church of God, the raptured church of Jesus Christ. We see in John chapter 14, very well known, I think, too many of us in the church just kind of read over that. There in John 14, verses 1 through 4, Let not your heart, this is Christ speaking, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know and the way you know. I want you to know something about this passage. This passage refers to the rapture of the saints at the end of the age when Christ returns. The rapture of the church. This description does not describe Christ coming to earth with his saints to establish his kingdom, as it speaks of in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 15, but taking believers from earth to live with him in heaven. This is not the event of his return in glory and power to destroy the wicked, as spoke of Matthew 13, and uh, rather this describes his coming to gather his own who are alive and raise the bodies of those who have died in Christ to take them all to heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 54, Paul would write, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. This is your glorified body. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. There in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, Paul would say, concerning those who have fallen asleep. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. Where? In the air. Not on earth, in the air. And this we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one of these all comfort others with these words. Church, I remember a pastor came to me one time and he said, Donnie, would you come and preach in a couple of weeks? I said, absolutely. A Sunday morning, he said, yeah. He said, Donnie, I just want you to know I'm going to be there, but the church just seems dead. It just seems dead. Ask God to give you something that might spark something in them. And I preached on a message like this out of that passage and I titled it, Cheer Up, Christian. You'll soon be dead. You see, to comfort you is the rapture is a pre-tribulational thing. It's before the wrath of God unfolds in Revelation chapters 6 through 19. 
This event includes complete transformation and union with the Lord Jesus Christ that never ends. And after being raptured, the church will celebrate the marriage supper, be rewarded, and later return to earth with Christ when he comes again to set up his kingdom. We will come back with him when he comes to set up his kingdom. The 24 elders represent the redeemed, raptured body of Christ. We, the church. You see, this must have been a great encouragement to John as he realized that the one who is the monarch is, the, is not sitting on his throne, biting his nails, wondering what was going to happen to his chosen church. He is still in absolute sovereign control of all things and still being worshipped in heaven. We need to see that in view of the sin and confusion that's all around us today, our omnipotent God still reigns. So when the church gathers to worship God, we engage in the most important activity of all creation. That's why we're here today. Not what, what we can get out of it. What can we give Him, church? And it is our worship in spirit and in truth. We join our, voice, our voices together to worship Him who is Lord of all. The current impediments in the church on earth cause righteous souls to experience momentary anxiety. We all do that. We see this happening to John at the beginning of Revelation in chapter 5. The anxiety begins to come out. John was still in the spirit. He still had the vision that the Lord had said, come up here and I will show you. He was still there. And he says in Revelation chapter 5, 1 through 4, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. When I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. What did John do? Did he say, hey, I'll open that scroll? No. John says, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or even to look at it. John wrote here that he was anxious for the welfare of the church. He shed tears, weeping profusely. He broke down and he wept loudly. It was a real sobbing well because the one seated on the throne had this scroll in his hands that no one could open. And what was this scroll? It's important for us to admit that the Bible itself does not tell us what the scroll was, whether here or in any other passage. At last, at least two aspects of this scroll are clear. First, it pertained to what was going to happen after this. After these events, what is going to happen? It was about the future. This is evident from the sequel. In, chapters, in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, the Lamb began to open the seven seals on the scroll. And what we see there is an unfolding of history. As each seal is opened, ramifications take place on the earth. Think about this. This is the it starts in chapter 6 through 19. A rider goes forth to conquer the earth. People begin to slay one another. National economies tumble. 
People die from famine, pestilence, and wild beast. Martyrs cry out for vengeance, and the final day of judgment then arrives. Second, whoever holds the scrolls determine the point in time when these events would take place. We see this clearly in chapter 6. It was only when the Lamb opens a seal that the respective events happen. Here is an example. Revelation chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, by the beasts of the earth. You see, the one holding the scroll determines what would happen and when it will happen between now and the final judgment. John was very concerned about this because he was anxious for the future of the church. As one of the very last initial leaders of the church, he was longing to see a better day and a better age for the church in the years that lay ahead. Think about this. He was one that Christ used to start the church. He was one that was there from the beginning. Why would he not have anxiety? He's seeing the demise of the church. He needed encouragement, and this is why he was there, to relay that encouragement to you and I today. It is nearly 2,000 years since the book of Revelation was written. And the church has spread across the world. As a matter of fact, I would say Christianity is one of the largest known religions in the world. That's why we fail to appreciate John's anxiety. I didn't say it is the most, uh, that most people are actively involved, but it's the most known. You see, if they're not a true born-again overcomer, some of them are, most of them are prosecutors of the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why we see and we fail to see John's anxiety, which caused him to weep loudly when he feared no one was worthy to open the scrolls in Revelation chapter 5, verse 4. Imagine, if you will, our country in a state of war. Or just think of World War II, or imagine that Adolf Hitler's armies have invaded the United States of America. Each morning when you turn on the television or the radio, uh, one's anxious question floods your mind. Who is winning this war? You read various places that we have been bombed or ships have been sunk or soldiers have been killed. You would be anxious about the future of our nation. Will you survive the war on the victor's side? That was the state of mind and heart the Apostle John had when he wrote this book. He wrote earlier in Revelation 1.9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, it was a time of tribulation and patient endurance on the account of the gospel. The external circumstances were bad enough in John's day. Additionally, the internal state of many of the churches was a cause of concern as it revealed the letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Think of this. The church of Ephesus had backslidden from its first love. The church of Pergamos uh, where Antipas had been martyred, uh, people were attaching themselves to wrong teachings. We see in Viteria, uh, a church was leading many, uh, a woman there in the church was leading many individuals to sexually immoral, immoral acts. 
the church in Sardis had a reputation of being alive spiritually, but it was is in fact dead. The church in Philadelphia had little power. The church in Laodicea, Laodicea uh, was not hot, nor was it cold, and instead was wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. No wonder John was anxious concerning the thing and the future of the church. In his first epistle, John wrote in 1 John 2, 18 19, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is uh, the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. For they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Individuals, individuals in the church were consuming heresy, and many of them were abandoning the church. And John was now in the spirit of in heaven itself. He knew that the scroll in the hand of him who sat on the throne had something to do with the future. He heard the challenge that went out for someone to come forward and to open the scroll by breaking its seals, and no one was coming forward, and John wept loudly. His heart was broken. The book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5, should not be taken as mere theory. Otherwise, we miss an all-important issue here. Whether you are a pastor, a church leader, or a layperson in the church, you do you often see a deadness in the pews do you watch services do you have you been in services where there's a deadness do you get fed the meat of god's word and worship in the message of the gospel every sunday i'm thankful to say here at central baptist under pastor uh, our pastor that is a true fact we hear the gospel do not take it lightly it ought to bother us when we see others who are not getting fed properly do you not sleep nights have sleepless nights sometimes thinking about this. Do you not sometimes feel like Elijah before God in 2 Kings 19? Oh Lord, I alone, and, uh, alone am left, and they seek to take my life. You see, that was what John was going through. If we are truly godly in our souls, and we know something about the Word of God, spending time in the Word of God, and spending time in prayer, there ought to be times when our pillows are wet with tears because of this sad reality. People are not hearing the gospel. They're hearing stories being told from the pulpits, and they're not hearing the gospel. I have yet to hear our pastor take this pulpit and not present the gospel. Every time he takes it, the gospel is presented. He doesn't take for granted that everyone sitting in the pew has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful for that. John's longing was answered by the triumph of the crucified, risen, and exalted Christ. What John saw in the remainder of the Revelation, chapter 5, spoke eloquently to him at the, that the church's future was very bright despite its present setbacks. This is because the triumph of the church is tied up with Christ's triumph, secured by his atoning work on the cross. This is captured for us as John's attention is drawn to the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain 
having seen horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth, which is the Holy Spirit. The language in this passage is incredibly deliberate. John was asked to look at the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when he looked, he saw a lamb in a very bad state, looking as if it had been slain. Also notice the use of the number seven, which in this book stands for the completeness. There are seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits. And seven is the number of completeness. So John identifies the fullness in the complete fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Lamb is omnipotent, all-powerful, and omniscient, all-knowing. He is omnipresent, able to be in all places at one time through His Spirit. And the Lamb did, not, uh, did what no one else could do. There in, in verses 7 and 8, chapter 5, when he came and took the scroll out of the hand of him who sat on the throne, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The historic nature of this very moment is hard to fully capture. The history of this universe hangs on it as very much as it hangs on the moment when Jesus Christ was crucified at Calvary. This is the moment that all anxious souls waited to see. The response of the four living creatures and the 24 elders could maybe, but not likely, be described as a full stadium that erupts in joy and excitement when with seconds to go, the Bucks Tom Brady hits Julio Jones on a 95-yard post-pattern route to defeat the Jacksonville Jaguars and hoist up the Lombardi Trophy as the 2023 Super Bowl champions. It is nothing like that. But yet you hear the fans and the screams and the, it is even the pale into utter insignificance when compared to what took place when Jesus went forward to receive the scroll from him who sat on the throne. You might as well compare an anthill to Mount Everest. It is nothing like a football stadium crowd. So much more. One hymn writer captures it so well. Listen to this. Look, ye saints, the sight is glorious. See the man of sorrows now. From the fight returned victorious. Every knee to him shall bow. Crown him, crown him. Crowns become the victor's brow. Hark those bursts of acclamation. Hark those loud triumphant chords. Jesus takes the highest station. Oh, what joy the sight affords. Crown him, crown him. King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, the four living creatures and the 24 elders bowed to the Lamb, and they are the closest to the throne. And from the epicenter, the adulation goes outward like a mighty wave until it engulfs the whole universe in its whole. First, you have the four living creatures and the 24 elders, Revelation 5, 9, and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy. Now picture this as you see the song they sang. This is the raptured church, the redeemed raptured church. Are you going to be there? If so, this is the song you're going to sing. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then 
we have the next round of the throne comprised of millions of angels there in verse 11 and 12 chapter 5 then i looked and i heard the voice of many angels around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the number of them with 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing finally the wave reaches the outer ring and john records in verse 13 and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and the Lamb forever and ever. And John ends by going back into the throne room and to, to the first circle of the thrones around the throne of God to see their reaction to all of this. And he says there in verse 14, Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. That's you and I, church. What a sight. Jesus was being acknowledged as victor because he was slain. There in verse 6, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Verse 9, you uh, for you were slain. Verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Calvary was not a mere product of the miscarriage of justice. It was not an afterthought in the mind of God. Jesus was the Lamb of God that was slain from before the foundation of the earth. In the eternal council, God the Father and God the Son had entered into a pact of redemption. And in that pact, the Son was to undergo humiliation by taking on himself the form of man and suffer until finally he would hang on a cross to bear the full penalty for our sin. It is finished in undertaking this the son of god carried a heavy weight on his heart nothing shows this more than what jesus went through in the garden of gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion the shadow of calvary fell upon his soul and he recognized in a few moments he would bear upon himself the guilt and the punishment that we deserved he knew that he was about to drink of the cup of hell on our behalf he paused and prayed, falling on his face there in Matthew 26, 39. Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He knew he was about to suffer the consequences of our sins. The righteous God whose throne must remain righteous and holy had come up with this very plan. There was no other way that sinners would be allowed to be eternally present with this holy God. We broke God's law and Jesus paid the price. He ransomed us. He purchased our souls with his own blood. And when he said from the cross, it is finished. Church, it was done. And he died. The father had promised an elect people for his son. He had promised a throne from which he was going to rule to bring his elect people with him. He was to be a driving seat of history. 
And that is what the Apostle John was given an opportunity to witness. To John, this was a most glorious sight. He was realizing afresh that in the midst of all the sin and confusion, uh, the backsliding and the persecution of the church that was taking place in his day, evil was not going to triumph. The Son of God was and is reigning over all. John had the opportunity to see this, and it was a real game changer, as we say. From this point onward, it is simply one seal after another being broken by the Lamb. He is, a, he is sovereignly in charge, and when he breaks those seals, judgment is coming to the wicked. And during the millennial kingdom, believers will reign upon the earth with Christ. There in Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. In 2 Timothy 2, 12, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And soon, church, this mighty host will march out of heaven. When we're there, we will march out with him to execute judgment, gather the elect, and return with Christ when he sets up his earthly kingdom. May I say to you, church, the stage is set. There is nothing more that needs to take place for the rapture of the church. There's things that have to be put in place for the second coming to set up his millennial kingdom before the rapture of the church. Are you gloriously looking today for him to come back? There is nothing else that prevent it. After we're there, the seals will begin to be opened and we will be in full-fledged worship to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you're not ready today, I pray the Spirit of God is causing you so much restlessness that you will not leave here today until you have repented of sin and placed your complete faith and trust in the completed, finished work of Jesus Christ for your soul, for your eternal soul. May you be there as one of the 24 elders in that division of 24 elders, worshiping our King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever and ever. I pray that you will. There'll be somebody sitting up here. I don't know who. Jeff will let you know. But they'll be up here. You come. If you want to speak to me, I'll be here. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. You have encouraged us today as a church. We see a lot of bad things happening, but we don't need to spout on all the things that are happening bad. We don't need to put down uh, the government, uh, though we may see wickedness. But, Father, we know you're sovereignly in control. And so, Father, this is all part of it. May when we see that wickedness, may we turn like John and look to the throne of God. May we see your throne knowing you're sovereignly in control and have peace that passes all understanding. If there's one here today, Lord, that's not saved, Father, may you draw them hard. May they not walk out of here as lost as they walked in. May they be ready for the rapture of the church. May it take place today if it be your will. And we'll thank you for all you accomplished to the Christian Please may this message encourage them as it encouraged me. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.